God has my life and yours under control. If you'll just submit by faith to His sovereign Lordship, He will take care of your cares. Look at this verse of Scripture. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. Holy Spirit, I ask you tonight to wash me thoroughly and absolutely in the blood of Calvary. I ask you, Lord, to take every imperfection, every sin of the flesh, every sin, God, that is obvious and sin committed. I ask tonight, Lord Jesus, it be placed at the feet of the Lord Jesus, at the foot of Calvary, and that the blood we're going to talk about tonight would cover it all. I pray for every child of God in this room tonight that their hearing would be anointed. If there's anybody here tonight, Lord, that's lost and unsaved and undone without God, I pray tonight might be the night when they come to grips with their eternal position and salvation before the Lord. And we'll thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I want you to notice in this portion of Scripture, the Bible says when, when the soldiers came to the three men that were crucified that day, Jesus in the midst, a thief on one side and a thief on the other, when they came to Jesus, the Bible says they did not break his legs because Zechariah 12.10 says they could not because the prophecy said not one bone in his body would be broken. He lived his entire life without a broken bone. That in itself for a Jew boy was a, a fantastic miracle. And when it came to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and His exiting from this earth into the presence of the Father to produce the blood of the sacrifice, I'm glad to know that when they came to Him, He was dead already. The Bible tells us that when the soldiers came to Him, after six hours, the Bible teaches us that even Pilate and all of the Jewish leaders of that day were shocked that he was dead so soon. Most of the time, a man would live longer than six hours, but Jesus was crucified mid-afternoon, and he was dead six hours later. Josephus said that uh, Jesus was crucified on a tall cross, T-A-U. There was many ways to be crucified, but Jesus was crucified by a Persian Romanistic custom. By that, I mean there was what they called the patabulum across his back. That weighed some 190 pounds or up to 200 pounds on his back. Can you imagine carrying that load down the Via Della Rosa from Pilate's Hall? to Calvary, outside the city walls. He's carrying that. And then there was another piece to it that was called the stipe. The stipe was the perpendicular piece uh, that the parabolum, they would lift them up after they were nailed to it, they would lift them up and that parabolum would be hooked 
to the site and uh, that would hold the body to the tree. The Romans, now listen closely, I'm going somewhere. The Romans add, added a little piece called the sedile, S-E-D-D-I-L-E, and it was a little platform that a man could stand on and get a breath. The Persians would crucify people by tying them in the forks of a tree and tying them up by their hands and they would suffocate because their arms, shoulders, and sternum would cut the breath to the lungs off. They would just suffocate there because there was no way to get a breath. The Romans came up with the sedile, the little platform, because they'd nail his feet to the cross with seven to eight, nine-inch spikes, and they would put the spikes into the arm just above the hand. They did not go into the hand because the weight of a man, 160 to 210 pounds, would pull loose. They would put it right into the nerve of the wrist bone where the hand would hold it on. And they would crucify a man and hang him there. And the Romans found out how they could prolong the agony and how they could keep it uh, a, a hurtful situation for the longest period of time. He would push up and get, can you imagine, get a breath, only to go back down and he would hang his full body weight on those two spikes, a nail that a carpenter used wouldn't work. It took metal pegs or metal spikes or cleats to go through his wrist. And he would hang there until he needed another breath, and he would push up to get a breath, and the agonizing pain, they say, that would shoot through the wrist and through the arms and down through the body completely to the feet would be absolutely like a fire poker stuck into your gut. It would be like a fire burning in their body. And they couldn't stay up long and they'd drop back down only to get a gulp of air and lose it on the way down. They couldn't stay down long because they couldn't breathe. And they'd push up. Just survival instinct would cause them to push up. And when they pushed up those nerves, they said this, that a Roman soldier who was given the job to drive the nails into the wrist bones of a man knew exactly where two nerves are that those that the spike would go into and he knew exactly how to drive it in there so it would not kill the nerve but it would cause it to irritate up against that spike at every given movement. I mean everything that could be done to bring pain and agony to a man in death was done in crucifixion in Jerusalem in the days that the Lord Jesus was crucified. He pushes up. They would come with a bone axe. A man would come with what they called a bone axe. It was an axe with a long handle and they would, they would cut them in the kneecaps so that they could not push up anymore. They would break their legs. They said bone and blood and flesh would spatter all over everybody if they were anywhere near close to the cross. They came to that first thief and he was pushing up to get his ass. He looked down only to know in a moment he would not breathe any longer because this Roman soldier draws back the axe and frills it right into the kneecaps. I cannot imagine the pain and the agony these people felt. 
and only to break both of their legs and they hung there and suffocated. And the reason that they would break their legs if they did not want to prolong it any longer and in the case of John uh, 19 those Jews they had religious conviction they did not want the, these two thieves and this Nazarene hypocrite to be crucified and to run over into their Sabbath so they went to Pilate and they said we want the bodies down and we want the thieves and this ridiculous religious leader taken out of here before our Sabbath is contaminated. What religious stupidity these people were living in. And they have the gall to criticize and the gall to say that the Jews had nothing to do with the death of Jesus. Mister, they had everything to do with the death of Jesus. And every one of them that cried out, Let His blood be upon us, has it on them. Trust me, I don't care if it's politically correct or not. They stood there and killed the Lamb of God. Last time I checked, it was the Jews who said, Give us the rest. Last time I checked, it was the Jews. The God-hating... He said in John 1.12, He came unto His own. I don't think there's any question who that is. But His own received Him not. Cut and dried. End of story. They broke their legs. And they could not push up. They could not live any longer. But there is a wonderful thing happened in John 19.34. When they came to Jesus, the man drew back with the axe and somebody said, Oh, wait! He's not moving. He's dead already. Now listen to me. That has to me monumental meaning. Because when he drew back the axe, he was stopped because Zechariah's prophecy had to be fulfilled. And that prophecy was, you'll not break a bone in his body. Not one bone was broken. And the scripture tells us that they hung and he was dead already. And the soldier, to prove it, thrust the sword up into his lungs. He was hanging about a foot and a half above head high and he reached up and thrust the sword into his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. You say, what has that got to do with anything that's relevant? The only way that blood and water ever mix is because when death occurs, blood and water settles in the bottom of both lungs. When he pierced it with that sword and opened that lung up, blood and water came out to prove that he was dead already. You say, well, what, that, what has that got to do in it with anything? He had it all under control. He said this. He said, no man take up my life from me. He said, I lay it down freely and take it up again. And I'd like to stand here flat-footed and obnoxious and say to you, he was right in both cases. He had it all under control. I like what Pilate said. Pilate said uh, in John 19 and 10, Speakest thou not to me? Jesus stood and said not a word. He, he stood right there knowing where he was going. kept his mouth shut. And, and, and uh, Pilate said, uh, You're not going to talk to me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? 
Jesus couldn't hold his tongue any longer. He saw that toad frog sitting on that throne, and he looked straight into his eyes, and he said, Thou couldn't have no power at all against me, except it was given you from above. And don't you forget it, bud. And he went back into the silent mode. He came out of it long enough to eat Pilate's lunch and hand him his brown sack in return. You have no power. He was talking to the emperor. He said, you have no power except God allow this. In other words, you're not in control. My father is running the show. Jesus is on the cross. And there's seven prophetic sayings that he spoke from the tree. The last being our first. I thought about this. The last would have been our first. They gave him a, a sponge with vinegar uh, and gall in it, which was supposed to deaden the pain. And the Bible says in two places that he tasted it, but he did not drink it. He would not be duped not to suffer the pain. And the, the Scripture says they, they stuck a, a mixture up there to him, but he would not take it. And he cried out, I thirst. And then the next thing he said, it is finished. Now may I say something to you? A runner in a race, when he crosses the finish line, is at his most thirsty point. Jesus had crossed the finish line. Jesus had finished the task. Jesus had done what the Father had commissioned him to planet earth to do. And he said, I thirst. But then he said, I want you to get this. He said, he's under control. He said, it is finished. He said, heart, you can stop beating. Lungs, you can stop breathing. I like this. The Holy Ghost gave me this. 36 years ago, God spoke life into my dead spirit and raised me from the dead and gave me a Christian life. And I am one happy boy tonight over the fact that I have everlasting life in my life. Is there anybody here tonight saved by the grace of God? That's God that you are. You don't have that life because a baptistry gave it to you. You don't have that life because you quit smoking. You don't have that life because you never drank. You don't have that life because you were raised in a preacher's house. You don't have that life because a deacon raised you. You have that life because one who had it all under control paid the death for It ought to mean more than an Easter egg hunt. It ought to mean more than a fluffy bunny. It ought to mean more than a day off. I'm telling you, he paid it all. And he still had it all under control. <laughs> I remind you, he said, he didn't look for the soldiers and say, may I have your permission to speak? He just spoke and said, it is finished. It is done. And then, it says, he spoke this, Father, into thy hands, not at their hands, but into thy hands from my hands, I commend my spirit. He, and he gave up the ghost. You know why he gave it up? Couldn't nobody take it from him. The only person that can have death take life from them is sinners. 
First Corinthians, the 15th chapter we talked about it this morning, the Bible tells us that the strength of sin is the law. And the power of the grave is the power. Sinners die because sinners are full of corruption. If you're saved, you're still living in a corrupt body. And it's dying while you're sitting in church. But there's one thing about Jesus. He never sinned. Death came to him, took a thief on the left, took a thief on the right, come to the middle and said, "Uh uh-oh, can't touch this. Got a problem in the middle. Had it on the right. Had it fixed on the left. But got a problem in the middle. He never sinned. He was not mortal. He was immortal. That's why he had it all under control. He looked at death and said, get rid He looked at corruption and said, they couldn't send nothing no better than you. You knew before you got here, you couldn't lay your hands on me because he was sinless. And the man who was sinless before God and immortal before heaven could not have death taken And he did it all. I wish I could sing that song. He did it all for me. I want to ask you a question. What has that got to do with anything in 2004? I want to give you this thought and briefly comment on it and shut down. Anybody who says he's your Savior and he can control his own death, does anybody in here know when you're going to die? Have you got it planned out and you've got it fixed the time, the date, the moment, the very second that you're going to slip out? Have you got all of that planned and fixed? Is anybody in here crazy enough to raise your hand at that stuff? Nobody does. He did. Before he ever was born, he knew exactly when to the second he'd leave out. You know why? Because God was on that tree, not just Christ. God was on that tree, not just God, but the Holy Ghost was on that tree. And the Godhead died so that you and I could go free. Good gracious alive. That ought to make us read our Bible. That ought to make us pray. That ought to make us come to church. That ought to make us sing and never complain. I need a witness. If he could control his own death, he can pay house things. He can send you through college. If a man knows how to orchestrate his own funeral and then three days later destroy it. I reckon if he lived, died, three days later was raised from the dead, I reckon he might be And if he is who he says he is, and he is, and he lives in you, and he does, if you're saved, he can take care of you at the mission, he can take care of you at home, he can take care of you at work, and he has it all under control. He controls all of my disappointments. 
Am I right about it? He controls every disappointment I was thinking about today. Before I get disappointed, God controls disappointment that comes to me. And when it overtakes me, I'm glad it can't overtake me. Tonight you've been disappointed about something. Tonight you're in a, you're in a fit about something. Tonight you've been done wrong. Tonight you've been let down. Tonight you are, you are disappointed with the affairs of your life. I'm telling you, bring them to Jesus. He's got it all under control. Preacher, I'm behind. I'm so disappointed with myself. And I get there too. I'm so disappointed with my family life. I'm disappointed in my marriage. I'm disappointed with my mate. I'm disappointed with the way I've treated myself. I'm here tonight to tell you this. God knew all that before you ever was, before you ever did exist, and before you was ever conceived. God knew all about you, and tonight He has it all under control. I'm glad this evening the disappointments that come don't have to blow me out of the water. John 5, 8 said, Jesus said unto him, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to that boy down at the pool of Bethesda that had been there 38 years. And, and, and God would send an angel. The angel would trouble the waters. And the first one in the waters was healed as a token of mercy. That guy was sitting there lame and paralytic and could not get to the water. Jesus passed by and said, Sir, why won't you get into the water? He said, I have no man to, to help me. He said, when the angel comes and troubles the water, he just leaves me disappointed. Jesus said, I'll tell you what we're going to do, son. We're going to bypass the pool, bypass the angel, and the whole class. He said, I'll tell you what you do. Listen to me real good. Look up here. Look, look here. Look at me. Just a minute. Listen to me. Take up your bed, walk, let's go. Forget swimming, forget diving, forget paddling around on the shallow end. Come on. Just get up and walk. Man got up, folded up his bed, and said, yes! And walked off. You say, you are lame brain if you think I'm going to believe that. Well, you're looking at, just call me double lame brain because I believe it twice. He has all those disappointments, those difficulties in your physical body, those difficulties in your checkbook, those difficulties with your, listen to me, you can build expectations that high. That does not mean you have a promise from God they'll be fulfilled. But I'm going to tell you, when your disappointments come and whittle your expectations down to beneath your expectations, I want to tell you, you're not taking God by surprise. God knows what's going on. I need somebody to praise the Lord right there. He knows how to take your disappointment and help you with it. Number two, not only that, He controls all my disturbances. The Bible says in Matthew 14 and 25 in the fourth watch of the night, that means it's the darkest hour. That means it's the dip, most difficult hour of the night. These fishermen are out on the sea. A storm is brewing, and they're fighting for their lives. And here comes Jesus walking on top of what disturbs them. He was saying, under my feet, under my feet. Good God, hallelujah. Oh, your troubles! Uh, under my feet. He was standing on what caused them fear and what caused them disarray and what caused them to be disappointed and defeated. And the thing they thought was going to take them out. Jesus stood on top of it and said, I have all your disturbances under control. Listen to me now. If you're here tonight and don't know anything about your family, you're here tonight 
maybe from downtown at Garden City, and there's problems and difficulties, and you wish to goodness things would change and a break would come your way. I want to tell you, it don't. It, you don't need a break. You need a Savior. You need God who is in control of life to give you what it takes to go on. You college students, there'll be times when you're here that your disturbances will come up, uh, your disappointments will arise, but God will be there for you. And He'll be there to help you. Thirdly, lastly, and I quit. He controls my destiny. Oh, Paul, I like what Paul said uh, over in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 14. The Bible says that, uh, or in verse 6, 4, 5, and 6, the Bible says that uh, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it will be told thee what thou must do. I'm talking about a God-hater, a man with a note in his pocket to kill everything that looked like a Christian, a man who was avidly against everything going on that Jesus had, had accomplished. There was slaughtering those as they got off the altar, responsible for killing believers. From Acts 9 and 6, you go to 20, just 14 verses later. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue. Let me ask you a question. Do you know somebody who's told you, you won't catch me in no church? Look out. They don't come no lower than Paul, and they don't get no higher than Saul. Or lower than Saul, nor they get any higher than Paul. God can take a God-hater, a Christian killer, a, a molester of the Holy Ghost, and raise him up to be the premier preacher of the New Testament. I think that's controlling destiny. Is there anybody here tonight that believes for a moment that God can't take care of your destiny if you'll put it in His hands? What are you talking about, my destiny? Your future. Your future. If there's anybody here tonight that ought to believe what He's saying, it's me. If there's anybody here tonight that ought to get a good taste and a good look had a witness of what I'm saying. You ought to look up here. There has never been anybody that I know personally and experienced for myself the testimony that God has given to me as a witness in this city for the glory of God and as far as the destiny. Going nowhere fast. Doing nothing right. Absolutely at the bottom of the totem pole of expectation. <laughs> Nobody ever expects much out of nothing. <laughs> and, no, and that's where I was. Nobody. I see people right now that, are you still preaching, Buddha? Yeah. 30 years come next May or next January. 30 years in the same place. I don't look that old, do I? I'm still gorgeous, ain't I? Oh, if I just had a little, if I could get a crop on top, I'd be, I'd be a hunk. <laughs> and abs absolutely nothing to offer. Had no vision, no, absolutely, from day to day, no ambition. I fell down on my knees at an altar and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I deserve hell. 
but I ask for mercy. And I didn't even know to do that until the man helped me. And I begged God not to be better than everybody else, not to be a preacher, not to be an evangelist, not to be even carrying a Bible, much less preaching. I just wanted God to forgive me. And down on my knees I went and got up a child of the King. And my destiny, my future, I could never have paid good people to have orchestrated my life like Jesus. You know why? He controls. And all you have to do is quit making lame, flimsy excuses. Why it ain't happening for you? And throw in with it. Because he's got it all under control. I thank him for what he's done here, don't you? I thank him for the, for the years. Now, I, I, I've been here a while. For the years that God has been present in this place. Every time we walk in, we sense, we hear, we see, we touch, we taste the goodness of God. And it's just because he controls us. And he decides to let us do that. And I think there's some young people in this church with great destiny. I think there's some Bible college students here with great destiny. But it's not going to depend on your grades. It's not going to depend on whether or not I like you or he pushes you. It's going to be because God controls you. And all he's looking for is an opportunity. Preacher, you just don't know how down and out, disappointed and disturbed I really am. Well, I, I don't. I, I, I don't. And I probably don't need to right now. No much more than I know now. But I am going to tell you this. There is a controlling agent. He is a person. And he knows exactly how to turn the knob, exactly how loud it ought to be, and exactly how long it ought to be. And if you'll let him, he'll become the sovereign controller of your experience. Many of you know that. Some of you need to. We're going to pray and ask God to help us tonight. Whatever I need might be. Father, thank you for touching us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you tonight, Lord, for a message we didn't have to wrestle with, a testimony we didn't have to fabricate, and something, Lord, we could read out of a book and preach. I'm glad to know tonight, Lord Jesus, that I don't know much, but I do know that you are sovereign. And I know that if we'll place the parts in your hand, you can put it all back together. I ask you tonight to do that for every college student, every young man, every young woman, every choir member, every Sunday school teacher, every church member that's under the sound of my voice, or that one Lord that didn't get here tonight that maybe should have or could have and didn't. I'm praying dead see that the controller, the blessed controller, is not the church and the staff and the expectations of a parent or mate, it is Jesus. And I ask you tonight to work in all of our lives and cause us to see this truth this evening. If you can speak unto your Father and speak life out of your body and speak in 1968 and speak life into me, then I don't think you've got any problem taking care of me. It's not in my mate, it's not in my wife or my husband or my job or my ability or my education. 
All of that has to be under the control of the Savior. For He's got it all under control. Help us in Jesus' name we pray. How many of you join me around the altar tonight as God's children? And you pray to this end. You're to apply what you 